0: Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and you're about to listen to episode 10, our final episode of season three. Before I intro this episode, I want to thank Jason Allen Scott and Brett Farmer from a podcast company who do all the behind the scenes work to make us sound good and who've enabled us to be downloaded in now 50 countries. I also want to thank each of my guests this season for joining me remotely. Shout out to Steve Jude, CEO of Nuflex, aka my boss. Dave, vote with your feet, Kearns, over in Toronto, Canada. Joanna Turner from Canada Life Asset Management, Perry editor Evelyn Lee head of UK real estate for KPMG, my friend, Andy Pyle, tag team partners, Robert Walton and Lawrence Jones from Trilogy Real Estate, the space as a service entrepreneur, John Arenas from Serendipity Labs, the dynamic duo growing office evolution across the US, Andrea Parati and Emily Larson, and the well-spoken Daniel Kraft from Stronghold Invest. And of course, thank you for listening to each of our episodes and engaging in debate and discussion on LinkedIn and Twitter. The theme of season three has been building valuation methodologies and the friction that's happening as supply and demand are heading in different directions. We thought it'd be fitting to close out this season talking with an enterprise customer about the future of work and what they expect from commercial real estate. In this episode, I chat with Chris Early, who oversees the estate for Telefonica UK, supporting a team of nearly 7,000 people across the UK. Chris believes, on average, we're all going to use less space post-COVID. He says he expects lease terms to shrink and permit more flexibility, and asks how efficient is it for a company to provide all the amenities to their team when they can choose a building where those services are already provided and shared by all customers of that building. In this episode, you're gonna hear how Telefonica is leaning into the future with flexible working, Chris's view on space as a service, and why he believes brand matters to enterprise customers to ensure a consistent experience for their teams. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode, or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker, or email podcast at workbold.co. Now, let's dive into this discussion and hear firsthand how an enterprise customer thinks. Welcome back to the Workboard Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Chris Early, who is the States and Development Manager for Telefonica UK, who owns O2, one of the largest telecommunication networks in the country. Joining us from his home office in Surrey, England, close to where he was born, actually, Though he tells me he's fresh back from enjoying the rain on the English coast, Chris oversees the entire building life cycle from acquisition to disposal, as well as office design and fit out space management and some facilities management in between. In short, his role is to help the team deliver an efficient office and technical estate, which is designed to meet the needs of a fast changing business. But Chris came into the corporate real estate through an unconventional route. Nineteen years ago, he started out as a contractor managing cell site acquisition in central London. He then moved from build and implementation roles through the setup of Cornerstone, the network share with Vodafone. And eventually he moved into his role today at property. Now, along the way, he earned his master's degree in commercial property law. So he is legit and he did so via distance learning. So I guess he's used to doing some remote work. Now, Chris has a particular interest in new ways of working as a tool to improve the world of work more widely, And he's focused on helping his team deliver for their customers, which is what I'm excited to hear about today. Welcome to the Work Podcast, Chris.
1: Really glad to be here, Caleb.
0: Absolutely, Chris. We've been talking for, it seems like, ages now on the comments and LinkedIn (laughs) about the future of work and what the hell is going to happen uh, with real estate going forward. Um, So I'm I'm really glad to to make this a proper chat on the podcast today. Absolutely. Um, I want to start off, Chris, talking about the Telefonica state. Can you sort of give the audience a paint a picture. What does your portfolio look like across the country?
1: Um, so we've got 26 sites across the UK. Uh, they're a mixture of technical sites and uh, offices. We only got eight standalone offices actually now. We've got 18 technical sites and all of those have some degree of ancillary office space. Um, and that's anything for literally one or two desks for engineers up to a couple of hundred desks for a range of functions. And um, we've got a range and freeholds most of them are leasehold buildings uh, but we do have six freehold sites in the mix and we've um, aside from what i deal with on the um on the office and equipment site side we do have 440 shops across the uk uh, and obviously we've got still a, a large number of uh, network sites um as which as you mentioned earlier is uh, is now part of the joint venture with odafone
0: so i want to dive a little bit deeper into the, the office assets that you have. And you mentioned they're sort of a mix between leasehold and freehold. Can you give a little bit more of a profile of, of the office estate?
1: Well, the, the estate itself is currently about 700,000 or it's a, a bit over 700,000 square foot in terms of internal area. Um, that's uh, come down gradually over the years. Um, we were at about one point win, $1 billion square foot in uh, 2013 and it's geographically it's quite broadly spread um we've got our headquarters in slough which is by far and away our biggest office site. and, and for those
0: for those uh, folks outside of the uk who don't know where slough is uh, it's, it's about
1: a, just watch um, the original office and actually no don't do that definitely don't well help. that maybe, building's but. been demolished <laughs>
0: well the slough is about what uh, 30 minutes 20 minutes train ride outside of paddington station
1: yeah slough is is really i guess you you could say uh in spitting distance from heathrow airport so it's it's um it's very well connected it's uh just outside the m25 off the m4 uh which is um along uh, motorway or highways you might say which goes from east to west and um, very well connected into London and mainline train. So you can get uh, a train into central London in about 20 minutes. And the interesting thing uh, for us and for that location is that uh, the long expected uh, crossrail link is uh, all being well. Going to um, be up and running in the next year or so. And that's going to give them um, through connections right the way from Reading through Slough all the way through central London um, out to Essex on the other side.
0: Well, that sounds like a good central spot for mm-hmm. uh, an HQ, uh, a hub. Um, but you also have um, offices in central London as well as some of the secondary markets around the UK.
1: That's right. We've got some offices in in London. Um, uh, you know, on the outer side, we've got in Uxbridge. Gifgath has has got its uh, headquarters. That's a that's a building I acquired for them um, a couple of years ago. Um, we've also got a um, UK headquarters, um, if you want to call it that, or a main main office hub, really, in um, New Oxford Street, so just next to Tottenham Court Road Tube. Um, and there's also another pro- property I help look after, just off Piccadilly, and that's uh, in Air Street. That's for Telefonica Digital, so that's a, that's a group building.
0: Okay. And you said that there's a mix between leasehold and freehold. I want to sort of zero in on the leasehold bits because that's been a, a hot topic, especially right now. Uh, but in general, the trend um, recently is is talking about leases. And I'm just curious, as a, as a corporate occupier, or a customer of real estate, do you see your lease terms shrinking going forward?
1: Yes, certainly. Well, I, I certainly see us getting more flexibility. And I think whether or not individual leases as shorter and longer will or longer sorry will really depend on the circumstances um, a good example of that is the deal i mentioned a couple of years ago i did on behalf of gif Uh we actually did um entered into a straight 11 year term um, which at the time was probably even for us a, a bit unusual but you know we negotiated some very significant incentives and we knew that it fitted in with the business plan it was a strategic move But generally speaking, we are looking for, you know, we're looking for breaks. We're looking for flexibility. And we're we're also overall um, continuing down the road of trying to trim the number of sites and focus on the key locations. And then where we have short term requirements, obviously get more more flexible options to plug in as we go.
0: So, Chris, you talk about the estate shrinking a bit. Can you sort of share the thinking behind that what's driving that
1: well it's easier to provide a better service and obviously in a lot of cases more cost effective to provide a better and more consistent service from um, a smaller number of key buildings and um, we've got a, a smaller number of sites that have got a lot of people in historically we had a few more sites around the edges of the portfolio where we had smaller numbers of people, standalone offices, and um, it, it just didn't really make sense to hold on to those. There, there are other sites which, we, which are longer term holds for strategic reasons on the network side. So if we've got a network site and we've got ancillary office space, we could look at that and we could say, well, actually, you know, we've got 30, 40 desks there, whatever it might be. Do we, you know, do we stop providing desk space in that building, but actually you're going to be paying for it anyway. So um, it doesn't necessarily make sense to do that. So you can, you know, continue, you can tweak those spaces, improve them, and you can make use of those. And there's a logic to that when you've got people coming in and out of the sites anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, today, over the last few years, it's really been about where, where we can trim down those those less less efficient legacy um, regional office sites, focus on the, on the bigger sites. And then we've been making tactical changes to the estate, to suit business strategy.
0: Well, there's been a lot of talk in, in our in our industry. Um, uh, not not so much from your side, uh, but internally we've been talking a lot about will corporate occupiers um, offload their their leases or shrink their footprints as lease events come up. Um, are are you looking at at, at timing these changes um, at lease events, or um, is this more of a uh, a strategic look long term?
1: I think the first thing to say on this is that um I don't think it's too bold to coin a phrase to say that we're a bit ahead of the game in terms of flexible working or what a lot of us re- refer to now as hybrid working because um you know, we've been working flexibly as an organization for many years. We will probably go into that a bit more later on, no doubt. But the the key point here is as a result of that, our work patterns have been changing for a period of time. So so we have been able to um to reduce down and, and, you know, focus more on, on smaller environments in some of our sites.
0: So considering uh, today, uh, and, and I was I was at your uh, slough location, uh, just talking about this podcast with you um, just last week. And mm. um, I understand that, you know, you're currently, because of COVID, you have, what, 1500, something odd, some odd desk, and, you know, maybe 50 are in use each day um and so are you thinking yourself well gosh post covid we 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 don't need as many deaths because people can work from home and we can still continue operating as we do what what's your thinking behind that and is that going to drive how you take decisions on your leases going forward
1: yeah well i think the key thing to say here is um you know it's been said so many times we're in <laughs> we're in an unprecedented situation like everyone else um People are working in a certain way at the moment. And although elements of that will be retained, we're not expecting that the current very low volumes of utilization of Office will, will continue. We do expect some people to come back more regularly. But we do also think that it's likely that um some roles that were more office-centric before where people have got used to working remotely and developed new ways of working within their own roles, within their own teams that um that the amount of um, remote working will increase as a percentage so yeah we do think that will continue to accelerate the trend and uh, and the journey we were already on
0: okay and and currently across your portfolio we talked about the mix of freehold and leasehold uh, where does space as a service fit into that today
1: at the moment it's marginal to be honest um space as a service is something i've been interested in for, for a very long time i mean we're focused on service anyway i mean we're a you know a company that prides itself on pro- providing a very high standard of service to its customers and that's that's inherent in the o2 brand and all our products and services and um and thinking internally i mean you've had a quick look at our, our headquarters space in slough but you know if you go to any of our office sites that we manage um through our partnership with uh, total partnership with iss we provide an exceptionally high level of uh, facilities management service to, to the end users so always been very interested in service including in buildings and really interested to look at the wider world and see what developments are going on in terms of co-working um further developments to the traditional service model and all of the options there we just the reason we probably haven't made much use of it to date is we've had a, you know we've had the footprint across the UK been able with changes to the existing portfolio largely to accommodate what we needed and where we've had ad hoc requests over the years we have selectively used serviced office space um, and recently actually we've tapped into a, a co-working space in Dublin for for a, an HR team we've got based out there and that's working very well but we just um, for one reason or another the opportunity hasn't hasn't quite been there and we've still had a lot of desks um, and a lot of a lot of office space there for people to use across the country.
0: So within your current estate for the most part you've been able to accommodate your your space needs but on the uh, maybe on a project based or, or a team based Exactly. Solution yeah. you'll you'll yeah. tap into the serviced office or spaces as a service um, operators that are out there. Do you think that do you see that changing going forward into the future?
1: Well, I do because I think Like all organizations, you know, we're going to be, as I said, it's likely, it's so difficult to predict, but it's very likely, even for firms like us that were working flexibly before, that the amount of hybrid working is going to increase. Um, We're not going to want, you know, um, office property Um, is not the biggest part in terms of our, our overall property cost, but it's still a very big cost. Um and, you know, you've got to make good use. You, you can't have space just sitting around that's only, say, used on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday morning when people come in and sits you know, sort of lies follow the rest of the week. So we are going to have to find ways and uh, continue to develop ways of spreading the load, um, flattening out that midweek mountain, as I call it, getting better utilization and um, running more compact spaces. And then it obviously... Ultimately, as you get up to a high level of utilization, when change accelerates as it continually seems to do in telecoms, and projects come up, business change, you have to accommodate things short term. You're gonna, you know, we're gonna to want to have options and ideally partners that we can go to really simply and quickly so we can tap into spaces that are conveniently located that provide the same level of service to our people that we would expect to deliver to them if we were doing it in-house. You know, a lot of businesses historically, we've all been providing a lot of amenities in-house. You know, and we've got whether it be catering services, whether it be gyms, whether it be, you know, large spaces for events. Um, you know, there is the question again, continuing down that efficiency road. You know, how efficient is it for one organisation to provide all of those amenities on its own? If you're you're located in a space where where you can share some of those amenities, that's you know, that's clearly got to be the way to go.
0: Well, this is what I want to dive into more now, because um, I know we've talked, again, a lot on LinkedIn about this topic, um, and sometimes it becomes an echo chamber of all of us talking, but you've come in often and challenged our views um, and and added to the conversation. So I want to to talk about the Office of the Future uh, from your perspective. What kind of environment... Do, do you? I'm going to fire off a couple of questions here, and you sure. decide how you want to answer this. But I'm curious to know what kind of environment you need to provide for your teams. Uh, what amenities uh, does, does the talent that you're bringing in and you're helping them succeed in, what do they look for? Um, and, and, and how are you going to provide that post, in a post-COVID office world?
1: When people talk about office of the future, you know, a lot of gimmicks come to mind, you know, in the past people talk about um, slides and all sorts of things. Gimmicks aren't really important. Uh, what's important is having sites that are well located for transport hubs um, they're comfortable, functional, um, but they've also got some flair. So they're inspirational. There's a lot of talk about inspiration, isn't there, and innovation and where that can happen at the moment um, in some of those debates online. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent connectivity, of course, and we're a connectivity company. So whether that's wireless fixed, whether it's uh, mobile or what you'd call cellular coverage, um, you know, people have to be able to flow and move around the office when they're sitting at a desk with an Ethernet connection or they're moving into a meeting room using the wireless or they're just moving in between areas uh, using the activity based areas uh, and maybe working off their their phone or their iPad for a a couple of hours. So that is absolutely essential. Uh, And of course, what we do at the moment with our bigger sites is you know, we, we ensure we've got um, excellent coverage, not just through the usual means, but also through in-building solutions for that, to supplement that mobile coverage where required. Oh, well, the, the other, sorry, the other thing to say, I guess, and again, something that's been uh, the cause of much debate online is is space for introvert and extrovert tasks. Now, interestingly, at the moment, um, on occasion, I found myself arguing the other side of the debate and actually standing up for the desk, which uh, for me seems a bit odd if you've seen some of the comments I've made. But uh, uh, there's a danger at the moment that you sort of go back to what you said earlier about change and COVID. There is a, a danger of overshoot where we sort of assume, well, actually, you know, all this introverted stuff, people can just do it at home. You know, they've been working at home for months and If they want to go and work and report for a few hours or go on a long team's call. They can go home and do that. But that doesn't necessarily work for everyone, and it's um, you know might depend on on uh, on a particular day and what else someone needs to do on that day. They need to be in for. It might just be people who you know younger people, for example, might be um, might be living in a flat share. It may not be suitable for people to work at home all the time. So we do still need to allow for some of those introverted tasks, and we invariably will need a certain number of desks. Although I hope an awful lot less than we've got now.
0: Now, how does that work then? So, you guys have a pretty big estate across the UK. Um, the folks who are working from home, but maybe don't have the best work from home environment, are you giving them access to come into one of your locations, or do you let let them choose where they work? How does it work, work for Telefonica?
1: Well, to date, uh, we've got, we've got a mixture of, um, if, if contractually, we've got a mixture of uh, people who are contractually office based and their home workers. Um, if you're a home worker, obviously you have a certain amount of equipment, you're set up to work from home and the expectation is that you work uh, most of the time from home but certainly not all the time. the times that people need to come in for meetings and and whatever and they do um, they do come into the office sites. Um, most uh, of the office based roles um, although people have a have use of desks, they don't have a fixed desk. So we have um, and it's not our terminology, but we use the hugger hopper term- terminology. Um, hug being people who have a desk that's allocated to them and hoppers being people like me who go in and use any desk that's available and and we do have team neighbors as well which is which is very common obviously but people go in and um, use a desk when they need to or use whatever other space they, they need to and on occasion those office-based people will work from home and that's been happening already which is why i said earlier that we've been experiencing this growing trend over the years of of the bulge in the week which has then turned into what i call the midweek mountain
0: yeah and we we're talking about that that on on say wednesday or monday tuesday it starts building building up the mountain and wednesday you have sort of everybody in the office at the same time and then thursday and then friday it kind of dies back out so yeah and no, this um, is
1: not just a telefonica thing i mean this is no. just something my point and why i talk a lot about this is i think um, there are a lot of people who are um Again, I talked about overshoot earlier, people making, drawing too many conclusions at the moment. I think organisations that have been more conventional in the past have said, great, we can get rid of half the office space we make a huge saving. And actually, you know, it's all right because people work at home half the time and they'll just sort of, you know, they'll know when it's busy. So it'll all sort of smooth out. And my message to them is, well, I don't think that's going to happen or it doesn't happen a lot of the time and certainly not in the bigger offices. You need to have some way of managing demand. Uh, and that's that's something we, we, you know, we've we've learned from in the past and we made changes and we continue to work on. It, it's, it is always going to be a challenge. Um, traffic's bad on a Friday. You know, who wants to come down, say, from the north of the, uh, the country if they've got a meeting, meet someone in Slough on a, on a Friday and risk the traffic on the way home? You know, that, that, that's the kind of, you know, normal challenge you're up against.
0: Well, this is this is where I think the, the all the ingredients are coming together to create a lot of friction in our industry because um, now that people are able to work from home and be productive um, and companies are willing to release the flexible working policy, let people work from home or choose where they work. Um, what happens when you start thinking fiscally about this and you look at uh, your space that's only 48% utilized? Do, do you shrink your footprint
1: well exactly some um, what, some what surveys do? some surveys are worse than that in that across the public and private sector aren't they and uh, we commonly uh, we commonly i should say regularly do um space utilization audits um with a company called baker stewart her brilliance and do that um across all sectors and um you know it's fascinating to see see the commonalities there and the trends uh and you no, it's not acceptable is it you know to have Um, That much of an asset sitting idle. I think, um, again, this is something I've been saying in a lot of the debates with some of the dinosaurs online is that, um, you know, pre COVID, the average company had terrible utilization, you know, say 50% average utilization, including signs of life. And bear in mind, signs of life could mean a coat on the back of a chair or something left on a desk. It's not even someone actively working there, it's not occupancy. And I know it's an average. Um, But we had that. That was pre-COVID. I think a lot of organizations at the time um, were working on it, but some sort of thought, well, that's just something we've got to live with because, you know, people are coming in and out now. And when it's really busy, we've got to have the desk ready for them to come in. And we can't, you know, we can't frustrate them or, or prevent them from doing their work by um, not allowing them to come in or not having enough um, space available. Um, so I think people were living with it. I think um, COVID hit, two things then happened. One, there was immediate financial pressure on companies, uh, some more than others, depending on the business they're in, of course. Um, uh, and then, of course, we all went into this long, protracted period of working from home on a on um, on a very regular basis, um, and that's what seven, eight months now and running. Um, and then, of course, kicking in after that is the broader economic impacts and the question marks over the you know the impact over the economy of the coming months and years. So. Yeah put all that together into the blender. And I think coming back to your point, it's just totally implausible that people on average will hang on to the same amount of office space. Now, this is where the, you know, the stock New York broker crops up in my LinkedIn feed saying, hey, I've just (laughs) done a letting for a 100,000 square foot. It's all, you know, all bets are off, you know, the pipeline's back on, Uh, trebles all round, as they like to say in private eye. But, you know, that's that's not for me representative. I think you've got to look at the broader mix. And uh, for those high growth companies, what you've really got to do is look at where they were going before, so how much space would they have been taking. Sure. Uh, but I think on average, we're we're all going to have less space because it, it, for all those reasons, it just makes sense. And if the amount of home working increases, and that's not to say everyone's forced to work at home all week at all, but I think naturally it will increase. Um, even if it's just in organizations left purely down to the individual, then for all those other reasons, we're surely going to have less space. We're going to have to make more efficient use of the space and we're going to have to look to where we can share amenities, as I said earlier, to to make it work even better.
0: Okay, so Chris, um, I'm just going to say commercial real estate um, is, we, we we need you to get all your people back into the office. We need you to sign these long-term leases because that's how our industry operates that's how we make money um but <laughs> um that's not me saying that um uh, that that is the old industry talking and um
1: yeah it's it, interesting a colleague of mine who, who's uh, got a degree in psychology from cambridge um described um the rantings of some some people online as uh, from the cre sector as almost like the classic expression of the uh of the normal stages of grief um, in that uh, either sort of panic at the beginning, and then there's uh, and and then there's sort of the strange behaviour of sort of almost trying to force or threaten people back into the office, and just wanting to avoid the inevitable, really. Um, but yeah, I, I just I think well, you've got to go with the change, haven't you? you know, it's not. I'm not saying here there are no opportunities, and we're not going to hang on to any space. And as I said, some people are taking more than other others in terms of the amount of space they. Require. Uh, maintain and um, some companies will be a high, on a high growth trajectory and they will acquire more as a result. Uh, but I think people are going to be really looking for the value and that'll be in terms of the efficiency. It'll be looking in terms of added amenity. What's the flex? You know, it's not just the flex in terms of the traditional lease term, but, you know, if they need to bolt on bits of project space or they need event space that need to flow into, you know, what, what have they got to hand that they can make use of that, that, that literally is a seamless bolt on. Yeah. To their internal service.
0: Well, the the, the issue with that, uh, from from w- what I've seen and what I what I've heard as well, is that um, great. W- we can provide you. We can provide Telefónica with flex space. We can provide you with um, space on flexible terms. We can provide you with amenities. Um, but because you're not taking a, a 10, 20 year lease, um, it's it's riskier for us. Um, so that means that. To be able to deliver that, it's going to be more expensive. Therefore, we need to pass that cost on to you. Are you willing to have an increase, pay a higher amount um, uh, for space to have the flexibility and all these amenities?
1: I think the problem with this is that this is sort of going back to the traditional approach, isn't it? We've got a sector where, frankly, a lot of landlords have got a business that's worth nothing. Uh, And by that, what I mean is they're uh, they're being valued by the sum total of the uh, tenant covenants that they've got. Um, so this is just like a bundle of leases basically, um, and that's got to change. And I think um, that is starting to change. I know the, there's still challenges over that valuation model, but um, if we look at um, what some of the disruptors like WeWork have done, and we can all argue, you know, about the pros and cons of WeWork. Um, you know, there's some great things they've done. Some people like what they've done more than others, but they've done some some very interesting things, and they've disrupted the market at scale. And I think it shows that there's an appetite for for that type of flexible space, but it also shows that if you've got the right business model, you can build the right brand and the right level of service. Um, it's a bit like running a hotel, you know, you can run a service uh, where because of your brand or because of um, the standard of service you provide, you know, you're gonna be able to attract customers in and in a way those, those businesses should be valued at least partly on that basis.
0: Well, ultimately, if you're having a utilization issue in your current estate and, then you can procure space on a flexible basis to get rid of your utilization problem. So on aggregate, you're, you're paying less over a time period, even if you're paying a higher amount for more service and flexibility uh, as in when you get it, then overall, if you're saving money, it sort of, the value is there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. The value could be there anyway.
0: I wanna move forward in the conversation a little bit, uh, bring flexible working back into this because, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about hub and spoke on the back of this flexible working uh, COVID situation right now. Mm-hmm. But but post-COVID, um, you know, I was talking to – had two conversations recently. One, I was talking to an employee of uh, Facebook um, who says that uh, as soon as COVID hit and everybody started working from home, uh, Facebook – granted, not every company can do this or will do this – but Facebook gave all of their team members $3,000 dollars. Um, to pimp out their home office, to make sure they were comfortable working from home. Um, Separate conversation, I talked to uh, a a corporate occupier, um, head of real estate. Uh, They have some employees across the company that every year the company reimburses them for their 3,000 pounds a year rail pass. So They're now having conversations about giving that employee the choice of where to spend that 3,000 pounds. On the back of this COVID situation going forward, instead of coming to the office, they can work from home or they can choose to work somewhere nearby. So considering all these conversations that are happening and then the hub and spoke that you know mm. you and I participated in some of this conversation on LinkedIn, I wanna get your view on this. Do you think companies will roll out flexible working policies that democratize workplace choice that lets their people choose when and where they work
1: interesting yeah i think on the the first point the spoke the reason the hub and spoke one's been a really interesting debate is because again like a lot of things um there are a lot of there's a lot of lazy thinking and um people latch onto things because it's a good buzzword or a phrase rather hub and spoke but when you when you look into it you think well actually if you're doing that yourself um as a large company um isn't that what you probably had before about 10 15 years ago and uh, didn't you get rid of those spokes for some reason? Um, so trying to replicate that again yourself would be not impossible, but tricky. And there's a, there's a good chance that um, you might get something that works for a couple of years. You might think, oops, we don't need that anymore. It's now in the wrong location or that unit's changed or merged with something else. And then what do you do with the spoke? So you're in danger of replicating the, the problems that you may have ironed out of your estate over the last you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it might be. So yes, that's when you come back to thinking, well, actually is the alternative that you've got the hubs and you you know you make the hubs you know, great places to work, you make them f- flexible and future proof, and, and you may, as I said earlier start tapping into some of these uh, adjacent amenities. so you've got the flex there, um, and you then say, well you've got you've got home working. You've got project offices, as you mentioned earlier, where we say, "Well, we've got a targeted need for something, maybe short term. We're going to we're going to do a deal with a service to a co-working operation and take a chunk of space for a team." Um, and do people then go and work on their own or or as a group, maybe in in third-party co-working spaces? That's a very interesting question. Um, it's fascinating that uh, that Facebook are offering up that kind of money. I don't know how many organisations are going to do that. And um, speaking purely personally, I, I I can't see that becoming that widespread. But it's it's early to say, you know, I'm sure there will be elements of this. There are other factors, of course, like if people are, if some people are commuting quite long distances pre-COVID, um, if they're not commuting all the time, they're only getting in infrequently, and there's quite a big cost saving already for the individual there. So people will arguably have a bit more disposable income. If they're well, in that a, secure
0: job, this is this is what I wonder on that, Chris. Is if if um if we're looking at a, a low utilization rate overall on aggregate, um it, there's a call to shrink the footprint, uh, and if you shrink the footprint, uh, there's cost savings there, um, and if some of that cost savings can then be spread out or redistributed to uh in, to the team, and the team can then use that budget to choose where they work, but you obviously make the the hub that you're providing for the team to come into, you make it a destination. You make it really nice, has all the amenities. Um, they come in as and when they need to, but then they either make their home office nice or they have they tap into a, a local um, a place nearby. That might be a cafe, of course, but it could be a a, a co working operator. Or, I mean, perhaps you shrink your hub, and then you you talked about the the um, the spokes not being a good thing. Maybe the spokes are through a co-working operator
1: exactly yeah maybe they are um i mean this is all great food for thought i think the the only reason i was um advising caution in some of these debates on linkedin was that um you know it's a great example that you, you gave of companies trying out all sorts of initiatives with their employees but i, I just wonder personally how widespread some of that will be um and it, it, it might be towards the more modest end. But we'll have to see. It's early days, and it, it might depend how how far companies go with, and how radical they are with their own change. Um, I think from the from the value point of view, you talked about the costs of booking type, different types of space, and I think one thing that that is essential is, is somehow is to get individuals and teams more cognizant of the the value of space, and and um, and getting them on board with. Um, with the objectives of the of the property teams within organizations so that so there's a there's a real alignment there and people understand coming back to what i said earlier about the profile of utilization you know maybe you come in on a tuesday and it you know in monopoly money it costs you more to come in on a tuesday i don't know it costs you less to come in on a friday but it definitely needs to be a, a better understanding of uh, the value space i think and then and then of course there will definitely be a debate within organizations as to as to how to reallocate any savings that are made
0: well so before we we move on to the next topic because i'm going to dive really hard in the spaces of service to wrap this up today sure. um but the, my, my, my my big question is in your your view or not just your view but do you have some data around from your team are people going to come back into the office post covid like they did before
1: i don't think they are no i really don't think they are and i think that the- People who say they are are trying to pick up on, on sentiment around problems working from home, stresses working from home at the moment in the current environment. But, of course, in doing so, they're conflating a lot of things, you know, all of the issues and uh, around the pandemic uh, and some of the restrictions people have, have had to, to live under, depending on where they've been living during the last few months. Um, and they, they're confusing that with a normal year. You know, in a normal year, if you said to people, you know, you can now do what you want um, and you're not having to work at home all the time by any means. You've got to ask yourself how many, turn it on his head, how many people would definitely want to go back in five days a week out of people who were going five days a week before? And I, I just, I wonder how many of those people there are because yes, there'll be, you know, the example I gave earlier of someone in a small flat chair that's just really uncomfortable, boring Whatever to work at work from that environment, and so they never want to do that. And they want a break. They, for psychological reasons, sometimes it's great to be able to move yourself to another location to to kick off the day and get yourself focused. But I still wonder for most people, I think you, you've got a reasonable space somewhere. They'll probably be thinking at least once a week. Actually, you know, it'd be nice. I get in, gain a couple of hours. um You know, what can I do with that extra time? I've got some more introverted stuff. I've got some reports to do. I can just get my head down without some distractions. So I think, you know, even, even at that extreme, people are going to be doing it on occasion. And at the other extreme, a lot of people will be saying, well, actually, you know, maybe I need to go in a couple of days a week. I mean, it's dangerous to use me as an example, but I've been a contractual home worker for over 10 years. And um, and obviously, I'm in property, so, you know, it, it all depends on your role. But in a typical week, you know, I might be out two or three days a week, but I'm not even necessarily out for a full day. You know, I'll go out and I think, like, what have I got to do next week? Who do I need to see? What am I... What are my priorities next week? What do I need to achieve? And I'll shape the week based on that and, and choose a location to suit. And and I, I used to find years back in the early days when I was doing this, because um, I'd gone from being a real, you know, um, five days a week office um, employee to, to someone who would started to work remotely. And initially, I'd think, right, what am I doing? OK, Tuesday, I need to go into the headquarters. So I'll go into the headquarters. I'll get in early to avoid the traffic and 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 then i got in and i thought well i'm here now so i'll get on with things i'd sort of whatever i had to do that day i got on with and then it would get to look quite late in the day and i think well actually oh no you know the traffic's still bad i'll hang on a bit and i'd end up working probably quite a few hours um and then over time i gradually got to the point where i thought well actually to be honest it's got to one o'clock i've done what i had to do i've seen the people i need i need to see the traffic's quiet i'll get home log on at home get on with the other stuff I need to do and I wouldn't even necessarily stay all day so I think that's going to be a factor as well wouldn't even necessarily be a whole day be dropping in and out and I'm sure there'll be an awful lot more of that when things settle down
0: and that ladies and gentlemen is called flexible working (laughs) Uh, no doubt I I think I think we'll see a lot more of what you just described going forward you guys are clearly um, leaning into the future for a long time and uh, with your flexible work and it, it's it's clear uh, that that's been successful for you. So I think we'll see more of that post COVID. Um, I, I want to dive really hard into spaces as a service now um, uh, to to wrap up this before we go into sure. the quick fire rounds. I just have a, a few uh, topics around this, and and the first one's going to probably slightly sound self-serving, um, but but I think <laughs> I think you guys are a great profile to talk about and to talk to. Um, so I'm interested in your view, um, not specifically to as a sales pitch per se, but to, to hear um, how general industry might think about this. So um, so my company right now, Nuflex, we are working with some enterprise customers and looking at their real estate uh, and, and strategy going forward as a whole. And we, we're looking at it in a couple of different ways um, and uh, in, in looking at partnering to help them save money, but also make sure that their teams have – um places to work close to home so i'm just curious what is your view on enterprise companies like Telefonica partnering with spaces and service operators to reduce lease liabilities
1: well i think the first thing to say in terms of partnering is as an organization we do a lot of partnering so i mentioned the iss um partnership um earlier on and uh, that's um that's been standing for many years um Put us in really good stead and um, we've actually achieved um, a British standard for collaborative working between us, which is great. Uh, we've got another partnership with uh, Cluttons on the estate management side. Uh, we've got a, a massive partnership with Capita on the uh, custom services side. Um, and in fact, um, two of the largest office sites we're still in are, are spaces we sublet from Capita, and they provide an end-to-end facilities management service in those buildings as well. So we're used to partnerships, and um, partnerships can work really, really well. And I think on the property side, uh, other than the Capita deal, and that was very much um, to do with the fact that we we had that um, customer service outsource going on in 2013, that that came about. We haven't had any property partnerships i partnerships with landlords or, or providers like um like yours and i think that's definitely got a lot of mileage i mean what's what's painful um with property is the lead-in time isn't it you know every time it's so bespoke you go and have a discussion um you know everyone thinks what well, everyone who's not involved in property who's maybe involved in the rest of the project thinks it's going to be easier we found the space we want we'll do you know quickly agree terms and get on with it and and it often is a very protracted and sort of confrontational process to agree the detailed terms and get the deal over the line. And even with service agreements, you can, you've got different form of agreements, um, different levels of service. Um, you've got you you've got all the little catches that you need to iron out. Um, so having someone you could partnership with, you we had that certainty that every time. You, you needed to call on that flexibility that you knew exactly on what terms you were getting it, what the what the flexible options were, what the service level was, I think um, would be very promising.
0: OK, so that's great. Um, what what would you look for in a space as a service operator?
1: Well, one of our values is um open uh, and so openness another one's bold actually as you as you noticed uh, the well, other day but um openness absolutely you know as i said you know in a in a part potential partner openness fair and predictable costs um it, it's certainly not that you know when i go into these um any property deal that i'm i'm looking to hammer out the lowest possible base cost um, because I'm, I'm looking for something that's um, going to deliver the right standards. So fair and predictable costs. So something with a fair margin, uh, but being able to see how it's built up, um, that it's predictable. You know, it's no good having something that's good in, in year one and some, suddenly we need to bolt on a few options and, uh, and it skyrockets in the subsequent years and the whole relationship sours. Um, and I guess a, a brand that aligns with our values would be great. Um absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the other sorry, the other thing is um maybe even to thinking a bit further afield here, maybe even the opportunity to build on the relationship and provide a template for our own business customers. Because of course we're out in our enterprise teams who I, I regularly work with are out um selling all sorts of products and services for uh for mobile working out to our to our um business customer base, anything from SMEs up to large corporates. And, uh, you know, that could be a real plus, too.
0: Well, that's uh, fascinating. I know a lot of operators look at um, ways to add value to their customers. So um, their customers, your customers, it makes sense to me. But you mentioned brand just a minute ago, um, and, and you're aligning with your brand values. So what role does brand in, in terms of the operator play in that in that thinking?
1: Well, I think uh, first, we could probably agree there've been some very bad serviced office brands in the past, which are uh, some of the names, which probably uh, probably just best forgotten. Uh, I don't even
0: think we have to name again. You <laughs> no, already no. know who you're talking
1: I, about. I wouldn't do that. Certainly not on the record, anyway. <laughs> um, but um, no, uh, I think brand, brand could certainly play a role um, when it's a brand that genuinely reflects the aims and makeup of, of the organization. And uh, as I said, I think if we've got a... Um, a brand that, um, if 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 we say we wind forward and we're in a situation where, hypothetically, we've got a much smaller core space and, and and we're, you know, delivering these spokes with with you guys or wherever it might be, I think it would be essential to have uh, a brand that our people understood and could trust in, and um, and they could, you know, they could they could trust and know what to expect from that brand in that space.
0: So what sort of like standards or service le- minimum st- service levels would you want to maintain when, when given your your team's access um, to these this brand or the brands that you choose
1: well I think what one of the things is it is, is consistency and uh, you know with a with a widely spread estate um, one of the challenges is always making sure we're fair and consistent across the space and we're always looking and, and you know making sure that um, all the focus doesn't just go on the hq the hq is a very important space a lot of things that go on there a lot of events and everything else and the big numbers of people using it but um you know we, we continue to focus on the regional sites we work closely as i said with partners like capita to make sure that we're um we're focusing on the two big northern sites as well um so having having that continued consistent focus
0: so I just want to I just want to ask on that and when you talk about the the service levels that capital is providing within your existing estate are you saying the consistency are you saying that that consistent means when you go into an external space they would continue to deliver the similar experience that you're doing internally
1: Exactly I mean you you go into a space it's maintained to a good standard I mean, it's the, it means the start with the basics you know it's maintained to a good standard it's it's clean um, you know who to go to if you've got an issue. You've got a help desk. You can you can raise issues through. They get logged properly and uh, managed within SLAs. Um, going back to COVID, COVID Safe is a great example. You know, people going to one of our offices, they're not interested in who's running that particular office. They they need to know what it's safe when they go in, and they need to know that that it's going to be um, up and running in a similar way to to the other spaces that we've got. Uh, I think the other thing is. Um, Again, this comes back to consistency. From our internal point of view, the facilities would need to interface properly with our with our FM operation, uh, and that really is the only way ultimately to deliver that overall simplicity if, and consistency.
0: If a space as a service operator came into your existing estate to deliver the service layer on top, they would need to integrate with the FM.
1: Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, it could, it could be that scenario. Or, or I was also still thinking about the spoke situation hypothetically if you've got a couple of spokes um, you know something happens uh, there's an issue raised in one of those how, how does that then feed back into the main facilities management operation and follow all the normal follow the normal right line of reporting so we ensure that it's, it's covered and that the teams that who are, are out there um, I mean I can think of situations in a distant past when someone might have been based in in a in a small service space somewhere and And they could have felt like they were having to deal directly with a local local team running that space. And that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't just be the responsibility of the teams um, who are sitting in the space and using it day to day.
0: Lots of good food for thought. Um, And often when we have conversations like this, where we talk about uh, growing the uh, accessibility to flexible space, um, the broker community tends to get a little bit nervous um, because if we talk about procuring space on a flexible basis, that means smaller fees, um, dare I say. But um, I I believe, and you mentioned Capita, so I want to bring the, the Capita business travel model into it, not just the FM model. Mm. But, but Capita has a whole business travel division where they manage uh, hotel bookings on a transient basis. Um, and so do you see a future where a third party manages workspace reservations for your distributed teams, kind of like what I just described with business travel?
1: Quite possibly. I, I think one of the dangers in the past were for, for any large corporate is that people have tried to do everything themselves and um, you don't necessarily have the best solutions in-house. I'm always out. One of the reasons I'm always chatting to people um, like your good self, but everyone else on LinkedIn and, and normally face-to-face in normal times is is I spend as much time as I can outside of the business trying to learn from the experiences of other occupiers and, and other key players in the industry. Uh, we haven't necessarily got all the answers. Sometimes we can go out and we could we can find a solution and we can replicate it in-house, but sometimes you know you've got to recognize maybe um, other parties are better at delivering that and and maybe they're they're set up to do that. So absolutely, we know we should look at all of this. I, I think it's definitely a possibility.
0: I think the the broker community should take note of that because to me that's the, that's a a big future for them. And um, look, I mean, I would love to say that we would be your your network provider across the UK, and I'd certainly hope we would do that in certain markets. But uh, I'll be the first to admit we're not in every single market, and and there's really only one company out there that that covers a lot of markets and. Um it, it, <laughs> but there's a lot of places that aren't covered by them, and there's a lot of people that don't want to use them. So um, you know, I think that the broker community can step in in that area um, to help you maintain these service levels and these integrations with FM. And I just think that's a big opportunity there for our industry.
1: Possibly. And it's not even just about all of that. It's maybe taking it up a level again and thinking, well, you know, um, demand management, which is a huge focus for me, you know, what what can we do? What intelligence, um, what systems can be brought to bear to better understand and and predict demand and manage demand to deliver that efficiency? You know, if someone else has got the great system, um, I'm happy my door is always open.
0: Well said. Well, there you go. If you're listening, uh, connect with Link, uh, Chris right now on LinkedIn. Um, okay, so I have the quickfire round, and you listened to the podcast before, so you know how this works. Um, very quick, short questions and short answers. Um, and uh, we are running out of time, so I'm going to say super fast, quick questions. But uh, Chris, uh, first one is who inspires you in our in our industry?
1: um okay well i'm going to choose a personal one here um as a chap i've been working with in clutton's for for over 10 years now ralph pearson and ralph's uh, ralph's been the, you know the master of the central london office market for many years but what, what i love about ralph apart from his uh, his great sense of humor and his ability to to challenge me is just his unrelenting enthusiasm for the for the job you know and, he, and it, every time um we get a new instruction He's at it, and uh, you know he's full of ideas, and uh, gets up every day at the crack of dawn, well before me, and uh, ready to stuck it, get ready to get stuck in every time.
0: That's awesome. I'll have to I'll have to look Ralph up on on social media. Hopefully he's on LinkedIn. Um,
1: I'll just about. Him. just about. We do talk about his fat fingers when it comes to IT, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he used to well, do. He used to always have a lot of things in dictation. But he's 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 an old school chap, Ralph. But but he he he's a good sort. Uh, when it comes to the old school
0: well i'm going to send him a link to this podcast and talk about his fat thumbs
1: <laughs>
0: um, chris uh what sort of podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends
1: i must admit um i've, I've been listening to the odd podcasts. I've, I've not been listening to a lot of podcasts until recently but i have been listening to yours and i've enjoyed those and obviously that's where we made contact originally i've been reading um reading pretty widely over the years and certainly even more so the last few months rooting around for for new ideas and inspiration um i've seen neil usher talk a couple of times and been on a panel with him and i follow him regularly online um anthony slumbers and draw poleg of course um, been absolutely fascinating in fact uh, as, a, as a result of following them and uh, some recommendations i've um, i'm currently in in the uh, the latest cohort of their um real innovation academy and really enjoying that so far
0: it's such a great course isn't it
1: yeah, absolutely highly recommended
0: yeah, me too me too um all right well my last question for you and this is not work related but where is your favorite holiday destination
1: well anyone who knows me well knows that uh, I would easily give away the summer holiday you know I'm I'm not bothered about summer holidays at all which, which you know would probably shock some of you but uh, for me it's all about the ski slopes and uh, you know somewhere with decent altitude wide terrain obviously a bit of sunshine would help but um, you know good location just off the slope so I can get up early um, with a group of mates and and, and just um, you know grind out some serious miles on the slopes
0: and maybe some bubbly afterwards
1: not these days actually not these days i'm teetotal
0: oh look at you okay well
1: that's another story
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we're going to save that story for the next time you come on the podcast and that'll be the opener how about that absolutely chris really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights with us Um, it's been great and certainly looking forward to connecting with you on linkedin um everyone go follow chris early on linkedin we put his a link to his profile in the show notes below. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on.
1: Thanks ever so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for listening today. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a Podcast Company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.